what we have done is that we have seen that God has a design for all of our lives. God has a design for every aspect of our life. Whatever God created, He has a perfect design and a perfect purpose for. We see this at the very beginning. God created Adam and Eve to live in a perfect, peaceful relationship with Him. And everything was good until they thought that their way was better than God. They thought that their way was, was more perfect, if you will. And any time they or we depart or deviate from God's design, the Bible has a particular word for it. The word is sin. S-I-N. That means any time we get out of God's will, any time we do things our way instead of God's way, um, it's called sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. It's not something that Teresa only does or Pam does or Mike does. It's the Bible says for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. So we're all in the same boat. By the way, sin always takes us to one particular destination. It leads us to a place called brokenness. Now we understand the idea of brokenness. N-N-E-S-S. -S. We understand the idea of brokenness because we understand broken relationships. We understand broken sobriety. We understand broken marriages. We understand broken this, broken that. We understand depression, shame. We understand the whole idea of brokenness. And nobody likes to stay in brokenness. Nobody likes that. So oh, how you doing? I'm broke. I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. Nobody likes brokenness. And so we try our best to get out of it. Uh, we might... Uh, medicate our feelings or we might numb our emotions with drugs uh, maybe maybe it's just a rando maybe it's being with somebody else so maybe we'll, we'll hook up with a rando maybe we'll step on some necks and cash some checks of people we work with so we get the promotion because we think if we have all these things we'll be happy we'll be peaceful we'll have we'll have our life together but the truth is as long as we're trying to make our life better on our own we'll never be in God's design and the truth is, anything we try to do on our own to make our life better outside of Jesus, we typically tend to make things worse. Uh, we, we are typically worse off than, than where we started. We've, we look at ways to fix our lives. We look at ways to take away our pain and to get to, uh, and we just get more and more broken. I've got good news. This, in fact, this is probably the best news ever. I'm going to write the word good news here, but another word for good news is gospel. The good news is that God has made a way out of our brokenness. He has made a way. In fact, the way out of our brokenness has a name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. It's not through our own merit. It's not through our own goodness. It's not through our own faithfulness. It's not through being baptized or joining a church or being a good person. It's none of that. The only way we get to God's design and God's restoration and God's presence is through the good news. Now, that's tough for... I'm going to tell you something that, that might be tough for us to understand because of, of where we live. Jesus is God and the Son at the same time. And that's hard for us to understand because we live in a, we live in a, a reality that is based upon time and space. If I told you, I, well, I have a kid that's 22 and I have a kid that's 19. If I told you I was 12, you would know something is wrong. Because in our reality, that's the way it is. But in heaven's reality, in the spiritual realm, for those of you who are geeks, let's think of multi-universe, if you will, okay? Um, we are living in a time-space reality, but God operates above time and space. 
He operates above time and space, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit can be all at the same time. There's no rank. There's no ranking in God. There's no pecking order in God. There's agreement. There's submission. But there's always equality. And so, when God the Father looked down and saw our brokenness, when He looked down and He saw where we were, He said, i got to make a way for them to come back. And Jesus always has been and Jesus forever will be God just as much as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Colossians 1.15, what makes this thing about Jesus so special? It's this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He came to earth, He walked our, our sod, He lived our lives, He existed before anything was created. That means to say that Jesus is co-eternal with God the Father, God the, God the Holy Spirit. He is God in the flesh. God came down and lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. The Son of God, in submission to God the Father, became one of us. To, to me, probably the greatest theologian that ever lived, St. Paul wrote this. He said, though He, Jesus, was God, He did not think he did not think equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble form of a, of a slave and was born a human being when he appeared in human form. Church, Jesus is God and God came to live a life just like us. He went through all the same things we have went through. He got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got angry. He got sad. He got happy. He got lied to. He got rejected. Just like us. Y'all, He was a real person. He is a real person. With one small difference. This high priest of ours, Jesus, He understands our weakness. For he faced all the same stuff, all the same testing, all the same temptations that you and I do, yet he was without what? He never sinned. Those feelings we have, well, I'll just try it one time, see if I like it. I'll just try it one time. I know it's wrong, but I'm just going to try it one more. I'm just going to try it one time. You know how we said yes? Jesus said no. Because it wasn't God's design. All those times we have, feel, we have felt tempted to hate somebody or, or to hold a grudge against somebody or to withhold forgiveness for somebody and we went ahead and followed through with it. Jesus had every single one of those same, those same temptations and yet He did not sin like us. So Jesus, God, lived a human life but He never messed up one time, never deviated from God's design. In other words, He never sinned. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same. Church, say same. same. That means you and I have never went through anything that Jesus hasn't been tempted to do. And let me tell you something. If Jesus couldn't give in to, to, into temptation, then it's not that big of a deal. It's a rigged game. Could have Jesus in? Yeah, but then he wouldn't have been God. Well, then how did he do it, Mike? I just read you a passage. For a moment, he laid down his divine privileges. If he couldn't have sinned, then there's no big deal. What we're looking at is Jesus the Messiah who could have sinned, yet he didn't. Who could have deviated from the Father's plan, but he didn't. And that makes Jesus unique. That makes Jesus special. Because he is the only one that can fit the bill to satisfy God's anger and wrath towards sin. We can't. We're busted. We're sinners. We've all made mistakes. 
When Jesus died on the cross, there was a transaction that occurred in eternity. There was a deal that was cut. For God made Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, church not in the sense of creating like Adam and Eve, who never sinned to be an offering for sin. God the Father looked down on broken humanity. He looked at the Son and said, we have to do something to restore this. They have sinned and the only way to pay for sin is blood. The Bible says in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11, for the life of a creature is in the And I've given it to you to make an atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes an atonement for our life. Y'all, on Passover, for till now, uh, Passover is a celebration where the Jews kill a perfect, spotless, blemishless lamb to cover the sins of the home. Y'all, they had to do that every year because it's a, it's a lamb. What is something that God could do that would take away the sin of humanity, restore humanity from the first sin that was ever committed by Adam and Eve to the last sin that would be committed by the last person who's ever born? What could have God done to restore the relationship between Him and broken humanity? It took place in the person of Jesus Christ. When Adam and Eve gave in to sin in the garden, God gave them a covering for their shame. God gave them a covering for their nakedness. God gave them a covering out of animal skins. Now church, it wasn't faux leather. It wasn't faux fur. If you wear a skin made from an animal, there will be blood. There will be blood. And so when those animals were, were killed, the blood was applied to their shame. It's been that way since the very beginning. There is a currency in heaven dealing with sin, and it's always been blood. The Bible says, Hebrews 9.22, For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin, no coming out of brokenness, no peace, no wholeness. The law of God put the importance on the shedding of innocent blood over sin a very long time ago. Not my system, it belongs to God. The past over lamb had to be without spot without blemish in order for that lamb to be sacrificed for another year church jesus is a sinless man never gave in to temptation the way you and i do although he was tempted in all the ways that we are he never wrong he never made a wrong choice when it comes to god's design he never deviated from the will of god there is only one of us who's ever lived a perfect life hebrew 10 10 says this for god's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. God came down to our place, to our life, went through all the same stuff we do, and yet He walked through it all without ever sinning. Nobody else in this room can say that. In fact, nobody else who's ever lived can say that. This makes Jesus's, this makes Jesus unique. Now here's the best news of the gospel. The God of the universe has sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for us, therefore removing every obstacle that held us back from walking in God's design, walking in God's blessing, walking in God's favor. That's the best, of, that's the best news of the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus to remove every obstacle between us and Him. The word for it is called atonement. Church, when Jesus was on the cross and He died, He didn't faint, He didn't swoon, He didn't pass out. He wasn't somehow miraculously brought back to life by the coolness of the stone tomb. Church, when Jesus died on the cross, He was graveyard dead. 
D-E-A-D. When he was on the wooden cross, he died. Uh, he didn't faint. When they took down his body from the cross, they sealed him in a tomb, put steel bands around it. The governor put his signet ring seal on it, surrounded it with elite Roman soldiers. And yet on the third day when his body was gone, everybody said, well, somebody must have came in and stole his body. That's the ticket. Somebody come in and took it because there's no way he could have been resurrected. Church, if somebody stole Jesus' body, they must have been the best robbers on the planet ever. That thing was surrounded by lives, surrounded by eyes. If somebody stole Jesus' body, there would have been plenty of people to see the robbery. Jesus died. It wasn't a hoax. It wasn't a trick. It's not a legend. He took the death our sin earned, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. Church, when we think of the cross, we kind of think of the moment. That's the moment our sins were forgiven. That's the moment our sins were taken care of. That's what we think of the cross with Jesus. But, but you know what? Jesus wasn't the only person who died on a cross in the first century. There were hundreds of thousands of people who died on a cross in the first century. In fact, when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he had not even been to the cross yet. When he said, take up your cross, everybody knew what they meant because they had came into town and they passed hundreds of men hanging on crosses because they had been disobedient and defiant to the Roman government. Hundreds of thousands of people had been crucified. So what makes Jesus' death execution different? What makes this unique? What makes his death stand out among the hundreds of thousands of other folks who had died on a cross in the first century? I'll tell you. In fact, I'll give you a little hint. Muhammad was alive. He was born in 570 A.D., lived a religious life, said he got revelation from God. But when he was 63 years old, he died. And guess what? Dude's still dead. The man who started the Krishna movement. He spent his life looking for pure Krishna consciousness. He died in 1977 still trying to pursue a pure conscience and a, cure, uh, and a pure mind. He died in 1977. And I googled it this morning. Guess what? He's still dead. I'm going to tell you what makes Jesus' execution on Calvary different. You see, Jesus died on a cross of wood. He was buried in a tomb of stone. And if that was the end of the story, there's nothing good about Good Friday. The Bible says He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as over 400 Scriptures had said in the Old Testament. He was seen by Peter and twelve, and at other times, 500 of His followers, and eventually all of the apostles, and last, me, Paul, the one that was born unnaturally. This is Paul's way of saying, Dude, haven't you heard... The tomb is empty. Go to YouTube. There's 500 million views. Y'all, first century fact checker could have went to 500 different people and they would have said the same thing. Jesus was crucified. They put him out in that garden tomb out there on Palestine Road. And three days later, he's in the middle of State Street preaching at the gazebo. That's what 500 people would have said. It wasn't on Facebook, it wasn't on Instagram, it wasn't on Twitter. It was, it, was people's, it was people, what they had seen, what they had witnessed. That, my friend, is what made Jesus' crucifixion different than everyone else's. It's the empty tomb, church, that makes Good Friday good. It's what sets it apart. Jesus rose as the victor from the dark domain. He rose over the grave and death and He now sits at the right hand of the Father. Church, God made a way for us to go back to Him. To go back to the original design. To 
Be at peace with him. But church, I've got great news for you. You can also be at peace with your past. You can also be at past. You can also be at peace with your past mistakes. You can also be at peace with your with your iniquity and your sin because it's been brought under the blood of Jesus. We can be at peace with each other. We can be at peace with our spouse. We can be at peace with our kids. But praise God, above all, we get to be at peace with God. And that is a relationship that doesn't stop when death comes to us. This is a relationship that gets better when we go on. Church, the way we get back to this is Jesus will restore. He will restore us into relationship with God. And now we are freed to pursue our life lived, and lived under God's design. Now the only way to be restored is to believe that Jesus is our only hope of peace with God. That's the only way to be restored and to pursue God. The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the only way. There's no other way. I am the truth, the absolute truth. Truth with a capital T. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because I've overcome the grave. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. Nothing we do, nothing we can do, except come to Him. Church, you ever wish you could do things over and do them differently? Like maybe, rewi maybe rewind your life 18 months. Because you weren't happy with the outcome that you have. You just kind of wish you could have a do-over. When we come to Christ, the word is repent. Repent means to turn. We've been going down a road trying to fix ourselves with either drugs or alcohol or sex or anger or whatever. We're going down the road the wrong way and what repenting is, is Jesus saying, there's a ramp to get off the road you're on. There's a ramp to stop going in the wrong direction to go into the right direction. Jesus is the way. And this is what Jesus said. He said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the what? Repent and, repent and believe the good news. Well, the good news is that Jesus died, was buried, and He rose again. It means to repent. We're heading the wrong direction. We get off on the ramp that says Jesus. Well, let's talk about what it means to believe. Let's talk about what it means to believe in the good news. It means that you believe that Jesus is God. That you believe that He died, was buried, and resurrected. How, what's it mean, Brother Mike, to, to, to really believe that? It means this. It means you believe that just as much as you believe the pew you're sitting on right now will hold you up for the rest of the service. That's belief. That's trust. And that's what it means to have that type of belief in Jesus. You know that there's no other Messiah coming. He's the one. There's no other that is qualified to die in my place because he's sinless. He's the one. We go through life knowing that there's so much confusion and so much question, but there's one thing we don't doubt. We, doubt, we, we never doubt that Jesus is who he says he was. We never doubt what he did for us on Calvary. And here's the thing. Even after we repent and believe, I don't know about you, but my life isn't all cherries and peaches. My life isn't perfect. 
Let me release some of you this morning. Repenting and believing does not fix everything in your life. It doesn't fix it all, but this is something that repenting and believing does. It forgives everything. It forgives. We can't fix it. We've already messed it up. We've got the scars and the bruises to prove it. But once those things have been brought under the blood of Jesus, they're forgiven and they're forgotten. Hallelujah. Church, after that, after that, what do we do? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you're probably saved. Maybe you're saved. Maybe you could be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. Has nothing to do with religion. Has nothing to do with these four walls. Has every and by the way, you come to Jesus in humility, realizing you're broken. You will see this church differently. It will no longer be a building. It'll be a community you connect into. It's no longer just a bunch of hypocrites. It's that's my group. Those are those broken people I belong to. That's them. Maybe today you've not come to Christ. I want to help you do that right now with every head's bowed, every eye closed. Maybe today you want to give your life to Jesus. I want to afford you an opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me? Just say, God, I'm broken and I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and make me whole. I believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Jesus, come into my life right now. Help me to recover and pursue God's design for my life. And amen. All right, now what? Maybe you said that prayer for the very first time. Maybe you said that prayer as a way of, of reaffirming your faith in Him. Now what? Well, let's go back to what Jesus said. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Baptism is what would come next. Baptism is one of the first proofs that you're in love with Jesus. Baptism is one of those first things you do out of, a, out of obedience. Um, it's a picture of... The baptism is, is me drunking you in the tank and you coming back up. It's a picture of the old you going into Christ and a new you coming up. It's a picture of what's happened on the inside. It is you being obedient. It's a picture of the old life being brought away and the new life coming. It's a picture of wholeness. Next Sunday, I'm going to be baptizing, I know, Tina Turner. I know we're going to be baptizing uh, Jared and Trey. Maybe today you're here in a spot where you think, you know what, I, I need to get baptized. I've never been baptized. Tina came up, Tina Turner came up at the end of the service and said, Mike, I've never been baptized. I want to do that next week. Maybe that's you. So next Sunday, we'll be baptizing some folks, and, and maybe you need to get in on that. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, preach, I was baptized when I was a baby. Okay. But maybe you made a decision today or maybe last week, and you want to get your baptism in order. You made the decision as, a, as an adult with all your facilities and all your, cognitive, all your cognitive skills. You have chosen to surrender to Jesus. I want to help you get your baptism in order. And I'm not discounting anything that happened to you as a child, but now as an adult, you've made a choice. Can I help you get your baptism in order? If so, come next week. Go to our website, chesterfbc.org, and there's a baptismal guide tells you what to bring. Uh, as far as to wear and things like that, let me give you one more thing. You know, maybe you're here today and you maybe this is the first time you've been to church ever, or maybe the first time you've been to church in a long time. Today, you understand this. 
I mean, this makes complete sense to you. Okay, I get it. I'm a sinner. God sent his son to die in my place. I get to go to heaven because I love Jesus. Makes complete sense to you. But you've wandered away from God. And you think, man, I'd like to do that. I, 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 I'm starting a new, a new part of my life. I'm starting a new stretch of my journey. You know, Jesus went to a church, uh, Jesus spoke to a church, the church at Ephesus, the book of Revelation. He said, hey, I've got this against you. You've lost your first love. Go back and do the things you did at first. If being baptized will help you live more like Jesus, I love you. My name is Mike. I'll come to your house and baptize you every day if it's going to help you live more like Jesus. That doesn't bother me in the least bit. If it's going to help you love God and love people more, I don't have a problem with it. Now, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just telling you I'm not going to stand in your way whatever God lays on your heart. And that's between you and Him. Church, for three weeks we've been talking about the gospel. We're going to be teaching this starting Wednesday. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded I want to teach you how to present this model. And by the way, you don't, have to, you don't have to get all this right. You don't have to memorize all this. Can I tell you something? Models don't save people. The gospel saves people. Amen. But I want to be able to give you the tools to turn uh, everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Because people need a church. Church, the greatest obstacle to spreading the gospel is not NBC. It's not ABC. It's not CNN. The greatest obstacle to sharing the faith is Christians who refuse to open their mouths. That's it. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. In a moment, if you made a decision, I'm going to ask you to come forward, whether you got saved today or maybe you want to follow through with baptism or want to get your baptism in order. Maybe you're saying, hey, preach, I want to come to that connect group. I know which training. I, I, I want to learn how to do this. Maybe God's laid upon your heart that maybe you need to serve in this church. You need to serve at least an hour in this church a month. Something for the kingdom of God. And you're saying, well, preacher, I don't appreciate you keeping track of my hours. Okay, what are you doing right now? What are you doing to show God you love Him? If you don't have an answer, then I'm saying, well, let's just start by giving an hour a month. In a moment, I'd like you to come forward. And I, I, I ask you to do that because I want to pray for you. I want to celebrate with you as your pastor. I want to help you go forward. For some of you, you're just going to come up and you're not going to say a word. You're just going to come up and you're going to pray, you're going to pray along other folks in the presence of God. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, could I just ask you to stand, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, could I ask you to stand, please? In a moment, I'm going to pray blessing over this invitation. Then I'm going to extend the I'm going to extend it to you to come. If you got saved today, let me know. If you want to follow through with believer baptism, let me know. If you want to get your baptism in order, let me know. If you want to pick up the pace in your spiritual walk this morning, I want to celebrate with you. Let me know. Almighty God, in the name of Jesus, as we come into this time of invitation, I pray that, that God, you've already done the preaching, you've already done the ministering, you've already done the speaking, you've already called people to your Son, you've drawn them, Lord. You've been carrying all the weight today, Lord. And I'm asking that you keep it up. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Draw those that you want to draw to you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name. I pray in faith. 
and amen. Bye.